All right. Well, good morning, cool people. Right? I, I, are you buying that? I like that thing. That's good. I'm gonna trying to receive it myself. Uh, I haven't been called cool in a long, long time, just so you know. So if that was new to you, uh, receive it, right? Uh, I am Pastor Scott Harris, the lead pastor here. I want to welcome all of you here. Those online, I want to welcome you. Uh, and really welcome to the rainy spring of the Pacific Northwest. Didn't it feel like Seattle today? Coming in, we're soaked out. I know when you come in and I hug you and you're just soaking wet, I said, yeah, we live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's the price we pay for all the green we have, correct? Good. Anyway, I'm glad you are here. Um, and we're going to be today in a second uh, Samuel chapter 7. And just a little bit of review as we inch toward that. And, um, and oh, let me give you a bit of a, I guess, warning. Next week in uh, the journey with David, we're going to be talking about David and Bathsheba. Some of you know about that. Uh, there are very uh, mature topics with that. And so in that, I just want to be sensitive to young people and kids. Um, you know, we're obviously not going to be over the top, but there are some sensitive, mature topics we have to talk about when we look at that story. So just a heads up, next week, uh, David and Bathsheba, and we'll probably have this place full, right? <laughs> Everyone likes that. Uh, but it, it's going to be a great message, but anyhow, uh, be warned about that. So today we're going to be in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And we are continuing in our series, In the Life of David, A Passionate Pursuit of God. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get a Bible to you. And while they're passing it out, let me just say a quick prayer over you. You can keep your eyes open so the Bible doesn't hit you. Um, let me pray. Father God, we love you. You're good, and we are here for you. So I pray each of us just surrender ourselves to what it is that you have to say to us through your word. So with soft hearts, open minds, we come before you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And just a little uh, lead into this. Uh, last week, Damien talked about the faithfulness of God and really looked at when David was anointed as a shepherd boy all the way to him uh, getting the throne that he's promised 13 years later. And if you've been in our series, right, um, it feels maybe like it's been 13 years and all the highs and the lows of David's life. But what we learned last week, what we know is God is faithful. God is faithful. Damien did a great job there. And then leading into 2 Samuel 7, where we're going to be today, some, some big things have happened. Uh, David is the king now of all of Israel, as God promised him. Um, moves the capital um, to Jerusalem, okay? And that's in chapters five, you can look at that. And he moves the capital there uh, and then ultimately takes the ark and the uh, tabernacle and brings them to Jerusalem. And I think we have a picture of the ark and the tabernacle, no, perfect. And what I like about this picture, okay? Uh, it's a little bit of a cheap salesman job here. This is actually in Timna. It's a replica of the actual tabernacle and the ark. If you go on one of our Holy Land tours, you'll see these exact ones. Um, but anyway, the tabernacle on your left was what God asked Moses to build and God traveled with the people. Uh, 
in uh, their exodus and their wandering into the promised land. And then there, uh, uh, the tabernacle was set up and it moved a few different times uh, there. And in the tabernacle, in that tent in the inside there, um, there was a place called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, which you see there, which really represented and was God's presence. Um, and so David had those moved to Jerusalem. Okay, so that sets up where we're at in 2 Samuel 7. And what we're going to see is two big things here. We're going to see David's heart. We're going to see God's heart. Okay. In David's heart, in the first three verses, um, we're going to see two things. We're going to see his available heart, uh, and we're going to see his pursuing heart. And as I was studying this uh, and thinking through uh, this available heart of David in the first three verses, um, a, a, a story came to my mind, an experience I had, and it was around uh, our uh, uh, past executive pastor, Rob Cizik. Some of you who have been a while, and uh, Rob was our executive pastor here for many years. I, I want to think, think in the na- number, like 12 years or something like that. And in 2016, um, he tragically passed. A uh, uh, really sad moment in North Shore's history. Um, and that's Rob on the left. Well, um, the year Rob passed, his son Michael, who you see him pictured with here, um, took what I would call the ultimate vacation. And there's a storyline with this red, uh, uh, I'm not even sure what kind of car that is. It's a Toyota, but I mean, there's a, some of you know, right? It's, there's a history, a story, a funny one. It goes through a lot of years at North Shore. Michael buys it as a teenager, rides it, and then he goes to the University of Florida for college. I think it was like year two or something like that. He's going to want to drive down there. So dad and son take a trip from Washington to Florida, driving that there. Um, And so sometime after Rob got back from that uh, vacation, uh, him and I were talking. Uh, It would come to be our last conversation, um, as far as long conversation. And he says this to me. He says, you know, Scott, I loved vacation rob right how many do you like you on vacation right <laughs> hopefully boom every hand went yeah, amen uh, i love vacation rob he says i said why do you love vacation rob because you know I, i'm kind of more funny right i'm witty uh i'm laid back he goes and um i hear from god more i'm tuned in more uh and then my response to him is i said well rob that's where God always wants you. Because when you go on vacation, what you do is the voices that are putting the pressure on you in life, right, begin to quiet. And all of a sudden, the things of God and the deeper things in life rise up. Your heart becomes available. And and he was blown away by that conversation. He said, we've got to keep talking about it. This is important conversation. We need to talk. Yeah, let's talk about that, Rob. Um, And unfortunately, Uh, two weeks later, Rob passed, and we never got a chance to have that conversation. But the idea is exactly where you're going to see David. So if you are in 2 Samuel 7, let's read the first three verses together. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, 
Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. See, what we're going to see here is David's heart is going to be made available to God. Right? David's heart is going to be made available to God. You're going to see him um, open to deeper thoughts, deeper experiencing, and reveal a truth that is eternally important to all of us. So as he does that, it comes by way of rest. Rest from his enemies. Now it's important when he says God gave him rest from his enemies. And you can imagine this, but I'm going to give you a little um, spoiler alert. David's enemies are still there. They are not gone. All the highs and lows of David's life that we've gotten, there's more to come. So what's the difference? What God did is he took his eyes off those enemies. Yes, maybe they weren't attacking him in there, uh, but he took his eyes off his enemies because David has, had enemies. He had these external enemies, right? He had um, nations, right? Empires trying to attack him. He had kings that were his enemies. He haven't even had dissent within his own army. So he had these enemies, but he had internal enemies as well. Right? We know from what we've read about David, he went through episodes of emotional and mental, uh, I'd call it illness, low, low points, lack of faith. Right? If you read deeper into around these texts, you're going to see that David um, and his wife, Michael, we talked about that weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Their marriage is not good. Not good. And we know there's things brewing that will come to the surface later. David's health ultimately becomes an issue. David has enemies. And what God does is he takes his eyes off it. It gives him rest. And in that rest, it gives David space to start seeing and hearing God more clearly. He starts to experience God more deeply. And as I said earlier, he begins to hear something from God that is eternally transforming and changes everything, changes how we look at the scripture, changes how the people look at scripture. And it all begins with having his heart available. Okay. In verse one, verse two, now, once his heart is, is available, right? Once his heart is available, we see what happens and, and, and we start learning more about David's heart. Because you have to understand, as we look at David's pursuing heart in chapter, or verse two there, in verse three, uh, you have to understand for us, we have enemies too. Right? Now, our enemies maybe aren't armies trying to get us, right? But we have enemies that are closing in on us. You know, they may be political foes, right? They may be, um, you know, challenges at work. They may be health issues, right? They may be financial issues, mental, emotional health. Anything that quiets God's voice in our life is our enemy. And it interrupts our ability to pursue God with all of our heart. And so as I state that, every person here, online right here, speaking, has enemies that God wants us to take a rest from and hear 
and see and experience him. It's exactly what David does. Right? Because David's got attention. See? So once he's in that clear space, David notices something. Right? He said, hey, I'm in this palace. Right? And God's in a tent. So a little bit of history. When David becomes king, uh, which is pretty common, is, you know, the other kings that want to be in good relationship, you know, give them um, presents, if you would. Right? Hey, great job. You're king now. Let's stay in, in good with each other. So one of the uh, neighboring kings uh, says, we're going to build you a house, a house of cedar, which is important. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you've seen pictures. How many cedars do you see? How many wooden houses do you see? No, not very many at all, especially in, in ancient times. So uh, this is plush, 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 beyond plush. He has a uh, palace built for him. And they just 2005, they found it. We actually got to walk through it this last Holy Land trip. Um, so you can walk through the palace uh, of David. They found it. And they're continuing. Uh, the tricky thing with where it's at now, it's under a store. Uh, they keep finding stuff. So you have to actually go below a store and you can see all their floor joists and everything. And all of a sudden, here's this amazing palace starting to be unearthed. Incredible. Uh, and so David's in a palace. He says, I've got this palace and you know, I'm living like a king. And there's God in a tent. Because what the ark represented, it tells us, uh, in Exodus 25, is the presence of God. Now, God is present everywhere, but there is a concentration focus of God's presence. He says, I will be here. And the people knew that that represented God's presence. So you'll hear when they speak of the Ark of Co the Covenant, they'll talk about God's presence. So he's saying, God is living in, in a tent, and the tabernacle around there is where the people would come, so it's where God's people gathered right, to bring offerings, to uh, be in community together, to worship in their way of worshiping in that time, and to be close to the presence of God and have that actually the high priest intercede for them, right, and actually go to the presence of God for them. And David how can this be? And what this does uh, it, it reveals David's heart, the deep places of David's heart. And I love doing this right here for this reason. The last few weeks or so, doesn't it feel like we've been beating David up? Yeah, it's, it, I felt like we've been up here telling you that Superman's just a guy down the road, right? Because um, it's David. Uh, but you see these glimpses into his heart. And here's one of them. Because what he is saying, what David is saying here in his heart is um, that he is pursuing God, that he wants God to be first. I want God to be first. He says, you know what? I'm in a, a, a palace. He deserves to be in a, some, a palace. It's not about me, David's saying. It's about him. And he needs to be the focus. And, and what a palace represents, who gets palaces? Who gets temples? Kings. Deity. Not David's. That's what he's saying. He goes, I'm just a guy. Do I have the title of king? But that is the king of kings. 
He's the true king. He's the one that I want you to be focused. It's about his kingdom. So we see David is saying, it is God first. God first. So when he has this space available, his heart's available, he begins to look toward God and for God in the midst of his enemies. What we see is heart, it says it's about God being first. God calls us to the same thing. Exodus 20, verses 1, the Ten Commandments. What's the first commandment? No other gods before me. It has always been. Matthew 6, 33. Right? Seek ye what? Kingdom of God, right? His kingdom. And then, and then, right? All these things will be attitudes. Meaning we need to seek his kingdom first. Seek him first. That is what he calls us to do. That's what we see David doing in his place of rest. And I love this coming section because what David experiences, what he learns, what God shows him, changes everything, really does. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. So as we look at God's heart, we're gonna see God's heart. You're gonna see two aspects of God's heart. You're gonna see his, his listening heart, and then you're gonna see his good heart. First of all, in verse four, right? Verse four. Uh, well, I want to one point. Uh, verse three is an interesting. It's a little side note, but I need to say it. Uh, Nathan's a prophet. We're going to learn a lot about Nathan the prophet next week. Okay, so I'm going to leave that for that. But Nathan is a prophet. Times are changing. You'll see the prophets of God really begin to be elevated and play a major role uh, in, in, in Israel. Nathan's a prophet, but he is not acting as a prophet in this moment in verse uh, three up there. Uh, He's acting like a friend. He says, man, David, that's awesome. You're thinking about God. He should be, you know, dwelling in a a, a temple, a palace. You're going to build him a house. Um, Yeah, you do what's on your heart. He's a friend who is fanning into flame uh, his walk with God, his pursuit of God. And we need friends. So just as we looked back at that, I ask you, who's your friend that's fanning into flame a walk with God? Go for it. Look in your heart. Live for God. You know, we need people like that. David has a Nathan in this moment. It's awesome. But as we look at verse 4, and we start seeing God's heart, I love this. Um, So that night, after David and Nathan have their conversation, Nathan's there, and God says, hey, Nathan, paraphrase by Scott there, um, Nathan, go tell David this. So God is going to respond to Nathan. I want you to notice something, okay? When David talked to Nathan, it wasn't a formal prayer. He was talking to a friend, talking about his heart, right? having a conversation, thinking about things. There is nothing that shows us that Nathan was in formal prayer either. Okay, and here's this. God was listening. When David was in that space and pondering and thinking, guess what? God heard. God heard. So here's the point. God hears us always. 
God knows our thoughts. He knows our words before they're on our tongue. Now, 99.9% of sermons, when they mention that, will begin to make you feel bad, right? And you will feel guilty, like, oh, no. He knows my thoughts. Uh, I want to flip this and say, I think it's great news. It is good that God knows everything. Listen to Psalm 139. This is David talking. I'll read verses 1 through 6, I think. Psalm 139, uh, 1 through 6. Listen to what David says about God. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David said, it's good news that he knows all that. And I take us to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and we've heard this verse many times. Pray without ceasing. Meaning this is you are always connected to God. He is always connected to you. He loves you. He's listening. He's listening to your thoughts, your stirring in your heart, your ideas. And see, if you look at David in this space he had, and he was pursuing God, God heard him. He was listening to him. So I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, Know this, that God loves you, and he's listening. Keep those thoughts coming. Keep thinking. Keep pondering. Keep praying. Keep pursuing, because God is listening to you. Sometimes it can feel like he's quiet and silent, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, my friends, he is listening. He is there. You can trust it. Now, God's heart is a listening heart, but also God's heart's a good heart. It's a good heart. And this is what I was getting at earlier, that God is going to share something with David when he's in this deep place and hearing that changes everything. It becomes a stake in the ground. He gives him something that we know technically as a Davidic covenant, okay? And what a covenant in Scripture is, it's a promise. It's a promise between two people. Okay, so God makes a promise to David. You know, David, in a sense, receives this covenant, and we'll talk more about that in a second. And this covenant, you're going to learn, uh, is powerful. Uh, and we see God's good heart uh, in his promises to David and his promises to us all. I want to read this. This is in 2 Samuel 7, and I'll read it. Down in, it's uh, verses 11 through uh, 17, but I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, and remember this is God telling Nathan to tell David this, okay? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took from you the, from the pastors, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies 
from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. We believe this is something that is started but not done. The nation of Israel does have a home, but they're still disturbed. That piece is coming later in the end time story. Okay, continued. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, uh, the Lord will make you a house. And a house represents a dynasty and a kingdom. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body, or who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. In 13 shoes, there's a shift here. He shall build a house for my name, and here's where it shifts, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, so we'll come back to that here. Um, so it starts with this. Um, God's good heart. Uh, starts with a promise to David. And remember what David asked in verse two. He wanted to build God a dwelling. He wanted to build the temple. Right? Is that a good idea? Absolutely. Scripture tells us as uh, Solomon is talking about his father David and this uh, wanting to build a temple, he says what the Lord says that it is good. It was from a good heart and the right heart that he wanted to. So this is not a bad thing. Um, It was a good heart for David. But God told him no. God said no. No, why? Uh, Because he had yeses for David that are unique to David. Powerful things that David were to do. He said yes to David to preparing the way for the temple to be built. He tells us in First Chronicles, and just you know, Chronicles is another history of Israel. There's a little different start date, but it's another historical book. In First Chronicles uh, 28, uh, what we see is David himself says this, is, this is why God told me no, because I am a man of war who shed blood. And that's not a negative thing. He says, I have a role. How much has David done so far in our series. Incredible for the Lord, right? And he has work to do before this temple is built um, by his son, Solomon. But it's no to David, but it's yes to him and what God has him to do. It was a no to build a temple, but a yes from God to prepare all the materials. And like I said, getting materials to build a temple and the magnitude that they wanted to build it was not easy. Only David could do that. It took people uh, and kingdoms and, and influence and power to bring all that together. And God used David to bring that together, all the materials. And then God said yes to David in preparing the people for the temple. There's some amazing speeches uh, David gives deep spiritual things, God-focused things that David got to do to inspire the people to build a temple. And God said yes to David. 
that you are going to establish the nation of Israel. As they come together, the capital has moved to Jerusalem. Where's the capital today of Israel? Jerusalem. Still there. Uh, why? Because of David. Promise to David. It's powerful. So in the know, God has promised yeses for David. And as we read the text, it's beautiful. David gets it and he understands it and he's glad. So we see uh, God's heart in his promise to David. Uh, we see God's heart as well in his promise to everyone, to all of us. And, and this is where, again, it's a, I would say this section of scripture right here. All of scripture, all of history pivots on this. I was playing with the words of saying this is the most important scripture in the Bible. Uh, um, in some ways it is. Theologically, doctrinally, hope um, comes here, but there's other powerful ones. But things definitely pivot here. Right? Forever, this text becomes a stake in the ground where all of Israel, all of the Gentiles, and all of history will look back to this and use it for a reference for what is to come. Because this kingdom promise uh, is in David's name that your name is going to be great, David. Right? Your name is going to be great. And people are going to remember you. As I said, he had a kingdom, nation of Israel, that still stands today. People tried to destroy it. It looked like they've had success over times, but no, God made a promise. There it stands. David is given the name, a man after God's own heart. How many other people have that name given by God? None other. And here we sat doing an entire series, and what I've projected is say we need to copy him. In a passionate pursuit of God, here's an example of a real person that's doing it. And God recognizes that. It's powerful. David's name is powerful. God says it will go on forever. And we are still celebrating this great king. But he says the promise to all of us will also come through David's son. And David's son. I intentionally repeated that, okay? His son Solomon would build this temple. All right, there's many speculations of why Solomon means peace and um, the temple is a place where people gathered and got peace for their sins and peace in community. So maybe, maybe, I don't know uh, why Solomon. I know David had a role. This was Solomon's role, okay? That he'd build this temple, right? And the temple is a centerpiece of all of worship and gathering for God's people. And today, if you go to the Holy Land, the Jewish people are waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. Pretty powerful, right? Most contested real estate in the entire world is right where this temple uh, once stood. There's remnants of it. The Western Wall, right? The Wailing Wall we can lay your hands on uh, and touch it. You know, so you can see it, walk through it. Um, Solomon built that. Still a focus for ours today. But this next piece, uh, David's other son, capital S son, that's Jesus. 
And this is where everything pivots. The stake in the ground I talked about. This is made reference to the Messiah, the forever kingdom, eternal kingdom. The one that was um, prophesied that would come from the root of Jesse, right? David's father. And would come and would die for our transgressions. Who would redeem us. From this scripture on, all through the text, they are looking for the son of David. And that is one of Jesus' titles, the son of David. Matthew and Luke start with genealogies, these gospels. What those genealogies do is they point back to the son of David because of this text. Matthew goes through the royal bloodline of his adopted father, Joseph. Luke goes through the bloodline, right? His earthly bloodline through his mother, Mary. All to prove that Jesus is the son of David. That our Messiah, that our Savior is the son of David. The people longed and waited for the son of David. At the triumphal entry, they stood as Jesus came in and they shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's Yahweh. That is God. That is King. That's Messiah, they're saying. Son of David, this is him. This is him. Revelation 22, all the way into end times prophecy. Jesus comes and says, I am the descendant of Jesse. I'm the descendant of David. He's the son of David. So we look at the full spectrum. Everything we're about pivots. And our eyes are looking for, waiting for, we experience and long for a second return of the son of David, Jesus. What's that mean to us? There's a promise in it that should transform and change everything and how we go about life. Because that is a promise that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of David. That God loves us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us now and forever. He will never leave us. And we can trust that. We can trust the goodness of God. You know, so as we look at next steps and, and really landing this message, and you know, I just want to really share my heart as I was preparing this message earlier this week and what God did. You know, when we look at Jesus like David, the son of David, um, and his goodness for us, his promise of his goodness, we have to trust it. Because here's what's really important, okay? In scriptures, there's two, there's two kinds of covenants. There's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant promise says, I will do this if you promise to do this, All right? I'll give you blessing if you're obedient. You know, uh, and there's a hand, lots of covenants and promises from God that are these conditional ones. There's a few that are unconditional. God just says, I'm going to do this, period. That he's going to establish a kingdom with the son of David forever is what we call an unconditional covenant. It's a promise, Period. Well, what do I have to do? This is the hardest thing for nothing. 
because he made the promise. He says, my goodness will reign forever. And I'm going to give you something to put eyes on it and look for and understand. So you can understand the promise I've made that I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I am here always. Even in the midst of your enemies, I'm here. Whatever your enemies are, whether it's health, financial, mental, physical illness, relationship, loss, right? You may have suffered deep, deep loss. There's a promise there found in this scripture that we can trust that he is with us and he's good. All that we have to do is accept it. I accept your goodness. And accept his goodness through Jesus um, in our pain. Say, you are good, I know you're there. In our sorrow, in our brokenness, in our sickness, right? Knowing that there's health in him. And as I was preparing this, it collided with my pastor's heart. I shared an email some of you may have read. And, um, you know, the last, when I was trying to think about it, I probably would re-edit my own email because as I sat with my own words, I said, it goes back further and there's actually more than that. But my heart was burdened. Many of you know I stand back there after the service and I just absolutely, you know, saddened by the stories of health. I mean, cancer everywhere, right? Loss, death, financial brokenness, homelessness. I mean, I can just, I mean, I can see her all morning. And as I sat there and I was gonna talk about God's goodness, I had one of my football uh, coach messages for you, just so you know. I mean, I was gonna rah, rah, we're gonna rip the doors off. God is good, let's go get them. But I thought about our family members. I said, there is no way I can preach about God's goodness and not invite us into God's goodness, to come to him boldly, clear our mind, our eyes off of our enemies, whatever they are, and say, God has made us promises. He says, in everything, we can come to him in prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, its divine peace, uh, will guard our hearts. Ephesians chapter three, I just love this. It says, there is a power within us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? God in us that can do immeasurably, define that, more than we ever think or ask. And there is a lot of asking and thinking that we're doing, right? God, we need you. And he says, we have power. We have power. We can go before him. Jeremiah 33, 3. You know, I love this. It says, you call to me and I'll show you great and mighty things, unspeakable things. And what he's doing in there, he's referencing Jesus, right? That he's gonna come and he can heal people. He can heal our land. He can restore brokenness. He can allow the blind to see, the deaf to hear. Uh, we have a big God. He's a good God. And I think it would be extremely irresponsible of me spiritually 
to talk about the goodness of God, knowing of the hurts of God, and say, let's bring those together. He is good. And as a family, let's come together and pray. So we're going to take a moment. I'm just going to have a, a prayer over you, and I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, you know, if you are here, and the enemies are closing in, I want to invite you to set your eyes on him, on his goodness. And we're going to have people up here praying. I'll invite them up in just a second. We're going to have over here elders with anointing. Uh, well, if you want to call in elders to pray for healing, there'll be other people who will pray for healing or whatever, right? Might be brokenness, uh, might be praise, whatever God has laid on your heart. Uh, and those that don't come forward, uh, you may have a prayer. I mean, ask someone to pray with you right next to you. You pray out. Uh, and those that are in that space, that we will sing over you. We will pray for you. And that we pray that God's goodness will fill this place and draw his sons and daughters into him. So I pray for all of you, whatever brought you here today, that you would find it. Because he says, if you seek, you'll find, right? If you knock, the door will be open. He loves you. There might be some of you here like, well, I didn't come for that. I showed up at church. Um, I hope the Holy Spirit just you know, says, no, no, uh, I've got something for you. Um, I pray you step out in faith. And there'll be people I'm hoping to come up here. I'm just going to encourage you to be bold before Jesus, right? Sometimes we get our minds all wrapped around, oh, people are going to see me. Can I say this? Who cares? Who cares? I want God to see us, right? We go out in faith. So would you stand with me? Uh, I'm just going to ask the Lord just to consecrate this place now. In the name of Jesus, consecrate this place for your work. Um, Father, I pray as the prayer team comes forward now and, and takes their space here. Uh, and I pray you pray, be, prepare the hearts of the people that are going to pray, those that are out here, those that are online, Father, because I know there's people online waiting and available to pray that you would do your good work. Holy Spirit, you would be invited here, that we would speak the name of Jesus, the goodness of God, that we would pray in and over every situation and proclaim his victory. God, may you receive all honor and glory for the work that you have done and will do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have the elders here, there's some people here. Let's praise him.